HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Don't want to be an actor Pretending on the stage Don't want to be a writer With my thoughts out on the page Don't want to be a painter Cause everyone Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd, your cheesiest show on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, I'm your host, Anne Saxelby, and our show today has been sponsored by Sam Edwards Ham, uh, making some of the best uh, Virginia ham known to man. Uh, I will get back to you with the website because I can't remember it right now, but uh, thank you, Sam Edwards. Um, My guest today is Angela Miller. Hey. Hello. Thank you so much for coming out to Roberta's on my pleasure. Beautiful afternoon. So nice. Um, And Angela is a woman, an incredibly talented woman who wears many hats. She is a literary agent, a farmer, and now an author and has agreed to come and chat with me about her new book called Hay Fever, How Chasing a Dream on a Vermont Farm Changed My Life. And um, it is an incredible and very funny book. So thanks for coming on. Well, I'm glad to... I'm glad to be here, but I'm really glad to hear you think it's funny because we wanted it to be self-deprecating and funny. It is hysterical. I just started reading <laughs> it a couple of days ago, and and I was one of the things that I love most about the book is that it's not like your typical memoir where it's like I did this and then I did this and that led to this and I don't know they can be kind of like almost self-righteous sometimes yours just reads like a really funny novel you know (laughs) it has like these little vignettes that just like immediately from literally from the first chapter pulled you into like you know the what the farm was like and then kind of trace the story back from from there and it's just I mean, it is farming is kind of like a comedy of errors, I guess. <laughs> yeah, as I said in the first few paragraphs, the more I think I know, the less I really know because nature throws so many curveballs at you that it, you could be doing it for six generations and you still have a hard time sometimes. Absolutely. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's comforting too to know that, you know, we're all, we're all in the same boat. Well, the, the U.S. government definition of a farmer is somebody who's been doing farming for 10 years. Really? So anybody who is a far, actual farmer, 
you have to own 50 uh, earn 51% of your income from farming to be considered a farmer truly considered a farmer for your income tax purposes but also the first 10 years you are a beginner farmer so that's interesting so it's like common law for marriage it's yeah. like 7 years and you're married <laughs> 10 years and you're a farmer exactly exactly <laughs> and so as a farmer then do you get tax breaks for you being do. a farmer you, you get do? lots of tax breaks for your property you, That's good you, to know. I never knew that. If you keep your land in so-called current use as farmland, uh-huh. you will get up to 25% off your property taxes. Wow. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I don't earn 51% of my income from the farm. I have taken zero money from the farm in wow. all the years that none, neither has my husband taken any money. But and, and now, have you guys been doing it for 10 years yet? Are you no. t- Are you technically farmers yet or <laughs> beginners? <laughs> We just got another grant for being beginner farmers. Awesome. Uh, yeah. We have been licensed to make and sell cheese for six years. Okay. So essentially, we've been farming for six years. Wow. Um, that's uh, and, and now your cheeses, and we're going to talk more about your cheeses in, in a bit, but I mean, they are like top-notch American farmstead cheeses. It's like, you know, definitely... I don't know. I, I I can't really name any farms that make cheeses that are that are better than yours. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, you know, sort of to start off. So you go from literary agent to farmer to author. When you were a literary agent, did you ever see yourself kind of on the other side of the of the pond, as it were? You know, being an author and and trying to publish a book. I thought every once in a while about writing a novel. Uh-huh. And I would I would know what the beginning was supposed to be. I could never figure out the first sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And uh, since I've always represented writers, I've, you know, they take center stage. Mm-hmm. The agent stands behind and supports. So I've always been the support system. And uh, this is a very new thing to me. And I truly understand how difficult their lives are. I mean, it's a really scary thing to put that stuff out on the page and and get reactions. And let people Ooh. come to their own conclusions. So that's actually very funny. So um, d- is, does that make you more sympathetic? I know at some point you mentioned you're talking in the beginning of your book about having a meeting with one of your clients and um, a phone call from the farm comes <laughs> in and how you're very loath to leave your clients in a meeting because you they don't be take s- phone calls sort of high maintenance yes you don't take personal phone calls when you're at a meeting with a client you just that's not right that's not what you but i i saw the farm number on my cell phone and thought they wouldn't call me unless it was a terrible emergency (laughs) dear god the (laughs) barn is burning (laughs) it it was the intern saying that she left the chicken coop door open and a neighborhood dog came in and ate all the chicken massacred all the chickens oh (laughs) sad i guess you know in the grand scheme of things like not the hugest tragedy no we're right poor chickens but poor girl poor girl she wanted to jump off a ledge and i had to talk her back talk her down talk her down and um and you subsequently found out that that ledge was actually at the top of the barn because she was up there making out with her boyfriend. That's right, having a roll in the hay. <laughs> so you're being a support system for your client, and you're also being a support system for your, um, you know, apprentices. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How funny. So, um, I mean, did you always write 
a lot or did you was this kind of your first foray into writing I've always all my life I've <coughs> excuse me I've kept journals mm-hmm. <coughs> diaries but those are for myself right um and the funniest thing was a, a really dear old friend of mine named Ralph Gardner who eventually wrote this book with me uh was visiting the farm with his wife who's been my best friend for a long time and they were so freaked out by my life (laughs) she rolled over at five in the morning and looked and opened her eyes and looked out the window and there was this kind of five foot two person carrying two hay bales at five in the morning and it was it was me and it was I I should say And, (laughs) and uh he came downstairs for breakfast and said you know if your life is insane. Well, you should really write a book. That is so funny. And I scratched my head and I thought, well, it is funny if, if, we, can, if we can make it a cautionary tale as well as fun. Farming and cheese making is cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Anyone who's thinking about getting into cheese making should read this book because you really fully understand kind of the whole, you know, circumference of what goes yeah, on. It's very complex and... Yeah, Uh, it it can be very expensive, but it's very joyous to make a a beautiful piece of cheese that people really appreciate. I don't make the cheese myself, right? But um, I picked, I think, a world class team to world to make world class cheese. Yeah, well, so that I mean, I wanted to I want to talk about the community of people that you work (coughs) with at Consider Bardwell, also. But so I mean. First of all, how in the heck did you find time to write a book in the first place? You are, you have a literary agency, you have this farm, and now, and and you, you know, have completed this book. So, I mean, do you sleep ever? Do you? Mm. (laughs) I do sleep. I, as I say somewhere in the book, I wake up at four in the morning. My husband calls it whimpering. Because I'm worried about so many things. Yeah. And I whimper, whimper, and he grumps and gets up and goes down and has a cup of tea, and I go back to sleep. I've, I've sort of <laughs> ruined his sleep. But um, <laughs> writing a book was really, really difficult. And Ralph, Ralph made me focus, um, my co-author. He, yeah. he would call and say, Ange, I'm coming up for the weekend. And I'd say, no, no, I'm too busy. Don't come, don't come. <laughs> But somehow we pulled it off. And so his persistence. That That's incredible. So, yeah, because you need real, like, time and, and space in your head. And, and, and I needed well a disciplinarian, people. which which I got. And, of course, you've got a, de- a deadline in your publishing contract. Sure. And I've been dealing with authors and their publishing contracts for so many years. And there's that deadline is time is of the essence. So it put the fear of God into me to get this manuscript finished. Yeah. And so what was the process like, the go, the back and forth between um, you and Ralph? Was it uh, you would sit around a table and just talk about stuff? or he, Well, he would, <clears throat> we would sit around and talk about stories. We focused on the year 2008 because it was pivotal at the farm. We thought we would maybe break even or even make a profit, but we had all kinds of management issues and cheese distribution issues and it was very a lot of storm and drong and then the recession of the great recession hit in october sure so uh we didn't make our goals but uh it was more dramatic than most years Mm -hmm. so it starts at kidding Mm -hmm. and 
me learning how to manage all these people who are helping to deliver babies, hundreds of babies, so that you can have milk to make cheese. And it goes right through cheese making and age, cheese aging and breeding and distribution so that a person reading it can get a really full look at what a year is like. A year the in the seasons life. of a farm. Yeah, yeah. A goat farm is seasonal, so we don't milk our goats in the winter. So we get a nice break. You start in about late March, early April, right we, around now. We probably. breed our goats. Yes, we breed our goats in November and we have babies in April and we start up the milking machine mid-April and then we start making all of our fresh chev and whatnot. Okay, okay. Um, well, I want when we come back, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about that team of amazing people that you guys have um, created at Consider Bardwell Farm and, uh, and how you guys have made the farm what it is today. Stay okay. with us. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and I'm joined today by Angela Miller, who is a literary agent, owner of Consider Bardwell Farm, and author of an amazing and funny cheese book called Hay Fever, How Chasing a a Dream on a Vermont Farm Changed My Life, which everybody should go pick up. It is published by Wiley. Yes. And is it available in stores yet? It is. It's now available. Congratulations. I know, it's scary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we were talking about um, kind of the book's focus on a year in the life of a goat cheese farm, goat cheese maker, um, and, and how that kind of cycle works. And one of the things that I was kind of, you know, just thinking about a lot as I read your book was the the talent that it takes and the sort of special skill set it takes to bring together a group of people to make that happen. Because, you know, owning a farm, I guess, or is like owning a small business, you have to know what you're good at, and what you're not good at. And then how do you make those other parts fit in that you're not so good at, (laughs) Um, which you probably learned already. I I wasn't good at making cheese. That is so funny. So it's like, well, f- so first of all, okay, how did you decide cheese? I mean, you, we just have to talk about that for a quick second, because all of a sudden you make this dramatic shift in your life, and all of a sudden you're a cheesemaker. How did you decide really on cheese? Really quick and crazy. Yeah. I worked with Max McCowman, who wrote a book called Cheese Plate. Seminal book. And, I love that book. Uh, so, and I've loved cheese all my life. The first thing I wanted to do when I moved to New York at 21 was open a cheese shop. <laughs> Um, 
I lived at 99th and West End, and Zabar seemed like at seven, um, 20, mi- 20 minutes away walking, it seemed an eternity to get cheese. Absolutely. <laughs> and that neighborhood is still kind of like that. But I you had know? no money. Sure. So I was working in book publishing, earning a living. And my mother used to call me mouse because all I wanted to do was eat cheese. So by the time I was 50, I decided I wanted to go back and buy a farm. My parents had had a small farm. And my husband and I bought this amazing farm. We made an overnight decision and bought a 350-acre farm with 18 buildings. Amazing. It cost less than our the co-op we had sold in Manhattan. Holy shit. And holy crap. <laughs> we found out it was the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont. So suddenly... Here I had this historically important cheese site. site and a passion for cheese. And so I would consult with Max to, uh, like, what do I do? Yeah. And he gave me a bunch of names, Peter Dixon. I brought Peter in immediately as a consultant. And uh, he was winding down a cheese business of his own. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came on full time after a couple of years. And then I was looking for someone to handle business in New York City. Mm-hmm. And a neighbor put me on to this genius, Chris Gray. Chris Gray, who's been on Cutting the Curd. We talked <laughs> yeah. about cheese and rock and roll, and it was yeah. an incredibly fruitful discussion. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I'm really pulling this one out of my butt. But it ended <laughs> up being great. <laughs> he made cheese while he was in college, uh, albeit mozzarella. And uh, loved cheese and had left the record industry and was looking for a new something mm-hmm. and lives in Williamsburg. And his friends are your neighbors his in West Pollet. His friends are my neighbors in West Pollet. And it, it, the whole thing just coalesced magically. Um, well, but not immediately. I mean, when you first got started, if you brought, I know that you brought Peter in to do some consulting, but then when we did had, he actually we start had working with you? We had two cheesemakers in the interim. Max put me on to a guy named Peter Kindell and his wife, Caroline Smilik, who had been learning to make cheese and they were working at Murray's and she was in charge of wholesale at the time. And they came up to live on the farm and we had exactly nine goats that we were milking. Uh-huh. And Peter made Chev and he started to play with aged cheeses. They had a baby. Caroline became very homesick for her family in Colorado. Mm. And within four months, they moved back to Colorado. Okay. And I was like, why did I do all this? Yeah. You're like, hey. <laughs> I called Peter Dixon. and I said, help, help. And so he did some more consulting. Peter Kendall had a, an apprentice working with him for exactly two weeks. Wow. And she took over all the cheese chef. Amazing. And, and this was in what year? This was in 2004? 2004. <clears throat> okay, because I was working at Murray's then, and I remember you bringing in the Meadowies <laughs> and the Fresh Chev. And yeah, I became I became the cheese girl. I would carry a, pull a, a cooler full of cheese behind me all over New York. I uh-huh. used to shop at Barney's and go in the front door with the liveried doorman and suddenly I was dragging cheese in the back door <laughs> I had a whole new view of Manhattan <laughs> but it is kind of cool yeah, right to yeah. learn about like absolutely all the- learn the people at the back door Sure, and uh-huh. like the restaurant trick where like if they've got the trap doors in the sidewalk, you like stomp on the trap doors <laughs> to let them know you're there and they open them up yeah, for you. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's a whole other yeah. universe. But uh, Fred uh, Pino Luongo was a client and his partner, Mark Straussman, and they ran 
Fred's at Barney's, and mm-hmm. they bought thousands and thousands of dollars worth of fresh cheese. That so is awesome. So I was just like, don't bring it all down and take it to Barney's and Mar- and Murray's. Murray's were very supportive at the time. That's a, that's awesome. Well, I have to read a little quick quote because I thought that this was interesting um, in your book. It's on it's in one of the first chapters, and it says, many people fantasize about making excellent cheeses in small batches, keeping only a few goats and doing much of the labor themselves with one or two helpers. My ambition and Rust's, I might add, quickly became something more grandiose, to build a world-class cheese brand. In that regard, we urban professionals who come to farming at midlife might bring something to farming that generational farmers might not, marketing skills and perhaps a somewhat more sophisticated palate. Conversely, we lack the vast knowledge base, wisdom, and experience that get passed down from one generation of family farmers to the next. Agenting books is a snap compared to the range of skills required to operate the kind of farm we have successfully. You have to be part veterinarian, biologist, small business owner, animal husbandry expert, farm tour guide, and more. And I just think that that's really interesting because you did have that. um, It's important to have that immediate entree, you know, into places like that in the city. But then you have to have that's a full-time job in and of itself being the face of the cheese. And so you have to have this kind of backbone of, of other people at the farm. Exactly. That are helping you. And I had to hire people who really understood farming. Right. To teach me. Right. Right. And I just want to say, I have an amazing addition to our farm. Um, Leslie Goff joined us when she was 13 Mm -hmm. and she's been a cheesemaker now since then. Wow. And she's 21 now, and she's certified by VIAC, and she's local. VIAC is the Vermont Institute of Artisan Cheese. Yes. And um, Margot Brooks and Alex Eaton, she's from an eighth, sixth generation family farm, and now they're our farm managers. That's amazing. So... Did you ever imagine yourself to be at the helm of such a community? I mean, Peter Dixon, Vermonter to the core, master cheesemaker. Um, I like to call him the Johnny Appleseed of the cheese world <laughs> because I feel like he's just gone around teaching everyone he a little has. bit That's about passion. making good cheese. Yeah. And Margot and her boyfriend, Alex, who now yeah. make cheese and, mm-hmm. and help manage the farm. I mean, th- how... How does it feel to be kind of a, a mentor in a way? Or, well, you know. I f- suddenly feel that we have an amazing community. Um, I want everyone in- invested in the farm, mm-hmm. partners in the farm. And I think that's how we're going to grow. And that's how you manage to keep people. Absolutely. By really making them a part of the business. And it is business. Yeah. And that's very interesting because at the beginning you were talking about part of the inception of your move to the farm was that you know you got you and Russ had been spending a lot of time out on Shelter Island partying and that community (laughs) was becoming kind of less interesting to you and so through the farm now you've grown a community Um, I think I was stuck I was hitting midlife I knew I know how to do literary agenting really well but in the rest of my life I needed a big challenge Mm -hmm. my husband and I never had a kid together so this has been our child. I mean, it's it's re it's invigorated our lives absolutely to the point where we now have this creation. Yeah, that I feel very optimistic about. Uh, well, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, just to talk about the accolades that you guys have received for a second. I mean, this past year, your cheese, um, Rupert, won. Was it third place overall? <laughs> it was third place runner up for best in show. 
at the American Cheese Society, yeah. which had over 1,300 cheeses submitted yeah. for judging this year. Mm-hmm. So that's incredible. And it won a gold in its class, and so did Paula. And you guys have also won mm-hmm. cheese competitions over in Europe, right? Uh, yeah. The, the Jersey the Cow Jersey. Association. Yeah. And this, in the World Cheese Competition out this year, we, um, Dorset and Manchester both won bronze, silver and bronze. Isn't that some sort it's like a weird cosmic <laughs> thing that all of a sudden these cheeses that are named from English places that, you know, uh, English settlers came to Vermont and renamed yeah, those towns. Yeah. Now they're going back across the pond and, you know, winning competitions <laughs> yeah. uh, with the, these other Jersey. It's very gratifying. Cheeses. It's also scary as hell because, you know, we got to keep it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, so. Let's talk more about what, how you and, and Russell kind of built that farm together, because I feel like you're in a way you're the perfect counterpart to one another because you <laughs> have, you know, like you said, kind of unbelievable energy and just kind of the, the go getter spirit. And he is I, I think he told me once that his official title was master tinkerer <laughs> at the farm because he's trained as an architect and has, you know, changed many things on the farm and built many things specifically for you can, can we talk a second about how the the farm has changed the things that that you guys have done together to transition the farm from how you bought it to how it is now it was a derelict um, cow farm cow dairy and it has the biggest far, barn that i think i've ever seen and it was filled with debris mm. and i carried the debris out he designed the infrastructure. He's got a first-class degree from Cambridge University. Went in his worst moments when he's lying on the floor on his back fixing a chiller for the cave, he's like, what the hell? I've got a first-class degree from Cambridge. What am I doing? He's, our, he's not only our handyman genius. Things go wrong, unbelievable things, mechanical things goes wrong, go wrong, and everybody calls him, and he has to... F- figure out how to fix them on the telephone mm-hmm. long distance. And I'm pretty good at organizing and communicating. So um, together we just managed to make it all happen. Pull up our socks and <laughs> make it happen. Yeah. And he's designed really sort of special cheese caves for you. He's designed and built two and he's just, designing and building two more there's a third cave huge cave happening wow. up in the hayloft and uh, it's going to be ready by may 1st no um, more makeout sessions only cheese aging <laughs> 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 might have been more than a makeup <laughs> <laughs> i'm from the midwest i keep it g-rated <laughs> or pg-rated <laughs> um well, um, that I mean, it's just incredible to see uh, to and to see how far things have come in six yeah. years, and you know what you guys have planned for the future. Um, now, you milk your own goats as well as as buy milk. We, we from- have a partner farm. Mm-hmm. We have a partnership with Lisa Kamen at Jersey Girls Farm in Chester, Vermont, and uh, she milks eighteen to twenty Jersey cows. We do the nutrition program, the breeding program. Peter goes there three times a week, and we bring all of her milk over to our farm to make three different cow's milk cheeses. And her milk is gold. 
It really is, it's, in color and in flavor. In color and in flavor. We have others. We have a small goat dairy. One of Peter's missions is to help support small farms in Vermont. Which is so important because just like yeah. the old days when Consider Bardwell Farm yeah. was a co-op, they would buy milk from all the neighboring yeah. farms yeah. and bring it to the farm. And bring it to the farm, thereby relieving those farmers of the responsibility of turning that milk into cheese. Yes, and giving them a value-added product that um, that they can sell to. They and, can- and goat milk, that that is sorely needed with goat milk. It seems like, you know, there are... There's one small farm that we work with, and we buy, and she milks 14 goats. Wow. Um, and we're helping her grow. That's amazing. So yeah. your community doesn't only extend to the people who help work the farm right. and make the cheese, but now you're also bringing in neighboring farms yeah. and strengthening. That's one of Peter's missions. Yeah. But, yeah, so we'll make, we make one kind of cheese out of her cheese. It's called Experience. Which is so great. I actually, I have to tell you, I brought that cheese to a tasting the other week with a tasting of, um, there were 10 American and 10 French cheeses Mm -hmm. side by side. Wow. And um, the experience was the one. It was washed with um, dandelion wine Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that Peter makes. And um, and the chef was a French chef, a very kind of, you Mm -hmm. know, very French. Zaza. Chef, yeah. <laughs> and he was blown away Good. by the experience Good. Good. and um, by the experience of experience. You know, I represent Jean-Georges von Richten, and someone I know was at dinner there, and Jean-Georges came and sat at the table, and they brought out the cheese plate, and there was this one particular cheese that my friend said, what is this? And Jean-Georges said, it's something called Paulette, West Paulette. Which is now our um, Chester. Uh huh. He said it's from Vraiment. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't know it was my cheese. <laughs> that is so funny. I know. My friend said, Jean George, it's Angela's. He looked like, what? It's like, what? <laughs> well, good. So I feel like, you know, that. It is still a badge of honor, completely, to get you know that that yeah. seal of approval from a French chef. But we are totally, to- I mean, we're very, very lucky to be in the New York green markets, the Brooklyn green markets, and we get an amazing support amount of support from New York. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, our our time is is winding down, but I have one final totally frivolous question, which is if this book goes the way of Julie and Julia and was made into a movie, <laughs> who would you cast as you and who would you cast as Oh my gosh. as some I don't know, Peter, Russ, you name it. It could I be anybody on the farm. That. <laughs> I haven't thought of that. I you know, I was just thinking It's too scary to think of that. It's a funny thing to imagine. Who would you cast? Well, I don't know. I guess the uh, I guess Meryl Streep already did it. She would oh, be great. I've heard She's that, classy. Yes. I heard that she would be very good as as me. As you, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Maybe we could get her to do. I mean, it's just like one step away to I do a movie about it. farming. I think she'd do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Or some other classy lady. I don't know. Diane Keaton. She'd be good. She'd be good. She's funny. You're funny. Is She's Glenn funny. Glenn Close still around? Glenn Close is still around. Is she funny? No, all I can think of is Fatal Attraction. Yeah. <laughs> Or Run Cruella DeVille. Run close with a big knife in her hand. <laughs> She'd have to have like a big, uh, I don't know, a big like, I don't know, hay bale, I guess, instead. That would be her weapon. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for well, taking for the time. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. And I'm pleased to be the first radio interview for Hay Fever. Everyone should go out and buy a copy. It's, it's really a fun read. You are super. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll see you next week on Cutting the Curve. Great. Upon the waves. 